0: It's Wayne's World with Wayne
1: Goldsmith. Wayne's World, Wayne's World. That's what I was waiting for, the uh, the flash introduction. I don't really want to go to your cold, Wayne. It, uh, you know, you uh, your standing befits a proper introduction. How are you doing today, mate?
0: Well, it's State of Origin Day here, as you know, and um, I'm on the beautiful Gold Coast, and we have got a bit of a family problem, as usual. My wife is a mad Queenslander, and the words mad and Queenslander normally run beautifully together. <laughs> and uh, every state of origin match since we met 21 years ago has it been accompanied by some sort of crazy bet and this week we've gone for a fairly traditional one that whichever team wins they get to choose a date of um, their desire so I'll probably choose after New South Wales win I'll probably choose my favourite local Irish pub with a couple of pints of Guinness and a steak so There's a lot riding on tonight, a lot more than just state of origin success, it's household happiness.
1: Absolutely right. Well, all the best for that. Um, Topic today is quite timely. Uh, In the last hour, we've been discussing the findings of the ACC report here in New Zealand around the uh, proliferation and increase in injuries uh, amongst uh, youngsters playing sport, in particular those under ten, where there's been a sixty-three percent increase, and those aged ten to fourteen, where there's been a, a similar sixty percent increase in injuries. Now, you and I spoke via email yesterday on this. I know it's a topic very close to your heart, and one of the main reasons that uh, that you believe we're seeing this sort of thing is the uh, is the pathway model, which I know that you've spoke extensively about in the past. Um, first of all, can you, before we discuss the merits or otherwise of the pathway model? Can you just explain what it is, first of all?
0: Well, going well back, and you know, now being almost a stately gentleman in um, in sport, being around in the industry for about thirty five years, I can remember how there was all this evolved That back in the seventies and eighties, we more or less put together athlete programs on intuition, on former experience, on our own experiences as athletes, as coaches, the knowledge around how to develop athletes really wasn't there uh, the sharing of research wasn't there the internet wasn't around there was a whole bunch of reasons and basically if you're a rugby coach you coached players the way that you were coached because that was the way you were coached because the person before you was coached you know there was just that that flow on effect that we did things because we've always done them that way in the late 80s into the 90s, there was a lot of sports science research started to come through, and it was made widely available as the internet started to pick up and, and run. And all of a sudden, there's all this information around about growth and development, physiology, biomechanics, a whole range of things. And out of that, a couple of Canadian guys, a guy called Islam Bali and, and uh, his business partner came up with this thing called LTAD, Long-Term Athlete Development. And they proposed that there was a logical long-term sequence of development of physical, mental, technical and tactical characteristics in athletes that could be built upon from a, a very simple fundamental stage, which actually called FUN, F-U-N, the mental stage, right through to elite level performance. And they were smart enough to package that as a product. And they sold that to the UK, they sold it to Australia, they sold it around the world to different nations who then said, right, we've now got a very logical, systematic, easy to understand pathway of development from the time a kid picks up a tennis racket until the time they become Roger Federer. Now, in principle, Piney, great idea in principle great it's, it's like an education program you teach them arithmetic then you teach them algebra then you teach them quadratic equations and all of a sudden they're doing advanced trigonometry and building bridges however that original concept has been twisted and turned and misinterpreted and applied very poorly so that what we're seeing instead of athletes being allowed to learn arithmetic then algebra and so on is that we're seeing sports and coaches and schools who are calling themselves high-performance academies now at younger and younger ages, we're seeing them basically being shown quadratic equations and advanced trigonometry before they can do arithmetic. It's just been skewed and turned upside down, and we're now starting to pay an incredibly bad price for doing that.
1: If we use that analogy or continue it on, is it also the fact that there are being taught algebra and quadratic equations, et cetera, and not, uh, not participating in any science or any writing or any reading or any other educational pursuits, if you get my drift. They're specialising only in mathematics. In other words, the early specialisation, which is a big bugbear of mine, I know of yours as well. This is prevalent, isn't it?
0: it? It is. And look, in the last 24 hours, when you and I talked about doing this segment yesterday, I went on my Facebook and LinkedIn and so on. I said, look, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. Has anyone got any thoughts? Look, I got a guy sent me an article about hurling, saying, well, here's an article you might be interested in from the Irish Examiner where they've said that there's something, again, like a 60% increase in the number of serious knee injuries in kids under the age of 10 in hurling. And then somebody else, a friend of mine, sent me some similar data That was reported in England on young soccer players under the age of 10. A friend of mine just sent me something from junior hockey in the United States. I mean, at what stage, at what stage, mate, are sports going to go, hang on, we're all basically using the same system. We've all adopted this LTAD, this pathway model, and all of us around the world who are using the same sporting development system... Are seeing the same issues. We're seeing early retirements, huge increase in mental illness, and kids suffering from the effects of, of being exposed to high performance sport and the emotional pressure that that, that involves, the incidence, increasing incidence of injuries. At what stage do the sporting associations and governments and national bodies go, this is not working? For so many reasons, this is not working. There has to be other, and there are other ways of doing it, and and this just keeps... I mean, I cannot believe in the last 24 hours the correspondence from people, and yet, Bonnie, the the blindness of of because of... of, uh, And as you know, I do a lot of sporting parent talks I had a parent at the same time said, Wayne, I just read your Facebook post and I read this. Look, it's, it's all interesting. However, my nine-year-old son is an incredibly talented rugby player. And blah, 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 And what what should I be doing with his strength training, his nutrition, because he wants to be an elite player? So in spite of the evidence and the data and the reporting that's coming in from around the world, we've still got parents saying, yeah, 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 that's all good. But my son or my daughter Is different. They are elite performers and they're already in academy programs under the age of 10. And what should I be doing? Mate, it's frustrating. That's why I do coach development and parent education at the same time. We've got to get both sides of the coin working together.
1: So when will the sporting organizations actually show some leadership around this Wayne and in particular around the fact that they they have to put off to one side the fact that they are operating in a competitive environment where all of these sports see you know see numbers maybe dwindling and, and that's a separate topic as to why they are and maybe related to this but but numbers are dwindling. they want to retain uh, participants in their sport and yet as you've said, the the early specialisation, the pathway stuff is is proven to be flawed. So at at what point does somebody show some leadership here and say, no, we're not going to do it this way anymore?
0: Well, follow the money is always the... I've just been doing, as you know, some work in England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and the model that I proposed isn't a pathway, the model I'm saying, and, and if you look at the way governments are actually funding sport now, they're heading this way anyway. I, I talk about it as being a pool, not just because I'm tied up with swimming, but it's it's actually what we're trying to do is get every kid into the pool, as in the pool of People just doing stuff, running their dog, playing with frisbees, riding to school, walking to the shops, just getting as many people as we can active. And then have a ladder out of the pool, if you like, with that analogy, for the people who want to be exceptional and the kids who want to be outstanding and achieve high performance, which starts in their mid teens, around about. Everyone's pressing me for a, an age at the moment. I don't know. I don't think anybody, everyone's been looking for that miracle age we say yes all 14 year olds from that stage on can enter a high performance ladder or pathway or whatever you want to call it i don't think there is any one clear age but i know for one thing it's not six and it's not eight and it's not ten because the data that's that's mounting up about the physical and emotional challenges that we're then seeing in those kids has got to hit people between the eyes. And the other follow the money is this, point. At some stage, somebody, this should scare the hell out of the Sporting Association, if it hasn't happened already. At some stage, a parent is going to knock on the door of the NZRU or Netball New Zealand and say, my kid has just got terrible hips. They can't walk properly. And it's because of your system that you knew caused the problems. And you did nothing to change it. Now, the sporting bodies, of course, will come back and say, no, we've got extensive education programs and we've got a whole range of uh, measures in place. And they probably do. They're pretty good organizations. But at some stage, a parent will allege that a coach or a club or a national body has put in place a program which they knew in all likelihood, may cause significant injury to their kids. Once that ends up in the courts, everything will change.
1: Wayne, the extension of that is somebody knocking on the door of an organisation and saying, you put programs in place that you knew were likely to cause mental issues, and that has come to pass. So surely that's in this conversation too?
0: We've already seen that in the United States. And as you know, swimming swimming's very close to my heart. We've already seen swimmers in the United States suffering from mental illness, charging their coaches with neglect and with, well, abuse is probably too strong a word, but saying to them, because of the way you coached me, because of the way you yelled and pushed and just drove me up and down the pool from a physical perspective only without any consideration of my emotional and mental welfare, I'm going to sue you for the emotional damage that you caused me. Now, th- that that type of incident has become more and more common, and we're talking to coaches a lot to say, and the line I like pioneer is this, you can be hard without being bastard. You can be hard without, you can, you can set challenging targets, be unrelenting in the standards that you expect, be uncompromising in your pursuit of excellence without being a complete idiot and ratbag about it and coaches in all sports have got to be aware of that. But we're seeing an increased incidence of those sort of that sort of litigation where athletes are looking back on their sporting careers and say, hang on a minute, the reason why I've got anxiety and depression and I'm suffering with other mood disorders is the fact that from what time I was a young age, I was basically yelled at and pushed and driven up and down a pool or around a track or in a rowing boat or on a bike or whatever, the, on a tennis court increasingly they're looking back trying to figure out okay well the reason why i've suffered so much mentally and emotionally is because from six years of age all i knew was win 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 success who was responsible for it well i can't sue mum and dad i probably can but that's not going to help me get some money out of the will but who can i sue well i think i'll go back and sue the coach and then by extension that could lead into associations and organizations so I think, like most things, piney things. Once the money gets involved and the litigation starts, sports will have to look at themselves and force some significant changes uh, as a result.
1: A lot of parents listen to this show, and grandparents. Uh, Wayne, what is what is the one or two? What are the one or two key messages that you would give to parents who have kids who who are starting to show what is, in their eyes, a bit of talent, a bit of aptitude for sport at let's say a, a a preteen age what do you say to these parents during your seminars without wanting to steal all your thunder because i know you're going to be doing uh, many more of these seminars but what are the the key takeaways you want parents to take for, for pre-teen kids
0: well very simple keep them active is the first thing so if even if they're a, a, a great football player if you think they're a great football player a 10 as i've said many times there is no such thing as an elite 10 year old or a great nine year old or a champion 11 year old they're just kids who happen to do something better than the other kids at that moment in their life first of all keep them healthy keep them happy keep them fit keep them active just get involved in something um, work on them and help them as human beings you know the, the most important thing is helping them to grow as wonderful kids as outstanding human beings and building them through confidence through positivity through the ability to love themselves for who they are to accept themselves unconditionally for who they are to, to value themselves as human beings not for being gold medal winners but for just being remarkable kids uh, to have kids growing up with a sense of of uh, enjoyment of, of all activity it's really the the first thing and to stop worshiping physical talent is to look at physical talent as as maybe a transient quality in their life, the permanent and the enduring things are values, character, virtues, who they are as human beings, patience, respect, kindness, resilience, all those things, they're enduring. Focus on those things. And if you've got those things in place, whatever physical talent they are will come out very, very strongly. So we've got to change the emphasis from the physical to the emotional, mental, mental character spiritual if you like values and virtues and parents are critical in developing those qualities and and if we can move past the obvious things we can see speed strength size agility all those things into the less tangible but more important qualities of the human being then evil all it'll work out quite well Piney. but we've got to move away from this overvaluing and overpricing of physical ability, that's what's blinding everybody to the reality.
1: I always enjoy our chats, Wayne, and I've enjoyed today particularly. It's uh, it's such important messaging for people. Thanks so much for taking the time on State of Origin Day to join us. Hope you get your steak and your uh, and your two pints of uh, whatever you fancy, mate.
0: Yeah, two pints of Guinness. Go Blues. <laughs> Good on you, Wayne. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.